You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 32. We've been doing this podcast for just over half a year now, so here's a short reminder of how it works. We do weekly episodic podcasts that are simply conversations with a wide range of scientists, engineers, researchers, and just all-around cool people that work at NASA. Uh, Like this very episode, we start with a mini intro and tell you which episode you're on. Uh, Apart from that, we also add audio versions of our written stories from NASA.gov. Basically, we take stories that are posted online and have the authors uh, record an audio version. In the future, we're looking to add other features like lectures, panel discussions, or even episodes where we take questions live. Feel free to let us know what you think about the podcast by using hashtag NASA Silicon Valley on Twitter. In this episode, we welcome Brian Gore from the Human Systems Integration Division at NASA Ames. We discuss his work studying and creating experiments to understand human performance and how humans handle workloads. We also go into the recent release of the NASA TLX app on iOS and how this task load index tool can help researchers collect and understand data. So here is Brian Gore. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian. How did you join NASA? How did you get to Silicon Valley? That's a loaded question. Indeed it is. For Um, most it is. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I'd been working um, in human factors research at uh, Battelle in Seattle. Okay. And we were working on uh, automated highway systems and uh, intelligent transportation systems and coming up with the legislation or the rules to guide the legislation um, that was coming down from the government, NHTSA and Federal Highway Administration, to sort of mandate to the car manufacturers what should be allowed in a vehicle. Oh, wow. Um, So moving maps, intelligent transportation systems, um, uh, head-up displays, mooth mirrors, all all of the things that we see on cars today. Is your background in, like, engineering or computer science and those systems, or how does that? It is. So I've got an undergrad in human factors psychology. So I did my undergrad um, studying risk appraisal behavior and um, developing mathematical models of how people engage in risky behavior. Oh, really? I'm sure yeah. insurance companies probably love that kind exactly, of stuff. <laughs> exactly. And then, um, then I went on from there to uh, do my master's of science at um, San Jose State University. Okay. So were you always local? Or was nope. this happenstance? Um, so this was, so as I said earlier, I was uh, working at Battelle in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And then I moved down here to do my master's degree at San Jose State. Okay. And I started working at NASA while I was doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did, uh, I worked here for, gosh, I can't remember how many years, maybe about 10 years. <laughs> okay. And then I moved on to, I didn't move on, but I I did my PhD while I was working here. I completed the PhD. It took a little longer because I was working (laughs) full-time while doing, but but I got that completed, and uh, that was at the University of Toronto um, in the Mechanical and Industrial Engineering Department. So I imagine growing up, you were always very STEM-focused or always wanting to do that kind of stuff, or did it kind of... You know, growing up, Academics, always part of it. Um, Never a question that uh, you would just be continuing um, Mm -hmm. in in education. As time went on, you know, the the employment 
um, sort of guided the need for the additional degrees. As I understand, you came in through an academic kind of program to get to get into NASA. Exactly. So what were you working on when you first landed over here? Oh, training. Oh, really? Um, yep. We were looking at air traffic controller training. Okay. And so um, would it be possible to come up with a training program to evaluate air traffic controllers who are training? Is there a criteria level that we can actually identify to measure them against? Just like you or I get measured when we're driving a car, mm-hmm. you get a driver's license. Somebody assessed you, and there yeah. were certain critical uh, variables that you're assessed on. Now, air traffic control is incredibly complicated. Yeah. There wasn't really anything documented on what does a trainer look for okay. when they evaluate an air traffic controller. So that's how we started working on that. Typically, people think of NASA, they think of rockets, they think of astronauts, and I'm like, the first A in NASA is National Aeronautics. Right. Um, and then after that, it was all about flight deck. We were doing yeah. flight deck. I developed a human performance model of okay. the next generation um, air traffic management world called free flight. They were looking at this concept where they were going to reduce air traffic control Mm-hmm. of the flight deck by providing displays and those kinds of pieces of information so that the pilot could separate themselves from other aircraft. This is one of the things I get a kick out of here at Ames is they have the Future Flight Central. It's a whole simulation of, if people can imagine, it's an air traffic control tower with all of these TV screens around it, and it's all built in a way to simulate you know different conditions at different airports. Like you can make it snow in LA, and you can do all these basic simulations. And so imagine a lot of that research, and then people can practice and train on how to be aircraft control. Exactly. And and also with uh, the Future Flight Central, um, as I understand it, yeah. one of the big things about that capability is that you're able to actually move towers around. So you could say, I want to change the tower location. And you can look and see what effect that oh, will yeah. have on the air traffic controllers from from the tower because mm-hmm. it's a tower, yeah. and so if you move it, you know, on the other if they're, part they're renovating of, or building a new wing, and they need to temporarily or permanently move the tower. Right. They can at least see you what can, it was going to look like. Exactly, you can test it out beforehand. It's very smart to be able to do that. Kind My of nephew stuff. just joined the air force, and he's doing air traffic controlling. And I showed them Future Flight Central, and I guess they regularly get trained and practice yeah. in very similar. You know, situations yep. to learn how to be air traffic controllers. Yep. And so now, so when you start working on that stuff, now how does that roll into what you're doing so now? So the human performance modeling work, Yeah. a big part of that is using these computational models. So they're, okay. they're computational representations of a human. So anthropometrically, there's a, a figure. And <laughs> what we try to do is we were trying to drop all of the cognition into the brain, into the head of that anthropometric character. Okay. So we were trying to put in models of visual attention, um, memory, uh, short-term, long-term uh, working memory, um, sh- short-term working memory, all of mm-hmm. these different things as a function of time. So as somebody does a, a set of tasks, mm-hmm. if they get interrupted, they might forget yeah. This particular task. You get task. distracted. And you exactly. Do and so what we were trying to do is represent a human 
computationally that possesses all of those kinds oh, of so basic funny. human because we, we see all these yeah. we, we talk to the supercomputing folks and mm-hmm. all these simulations and models of like airplane wings or mm-hmm. tilt rotors but it's like no you're working on simulations of the human <laughs> yeah and it, it's it's how the human if we drop that whole package of things in yeah. uh, like the perception attention memory and the anthropometry would drop that inside of a cockpit can they do it can they actually oh, wow. drive or fly a vehicle? Can they drive a car? Can they operate a remote control station? Could mm-hmm. they remain on task for a certain amount of time? Do okay. they have perceptual limits? Do we start to lose focus after eight hours on a task? Yeah. Maybe we could use our human performance models, and they haven't been used in this way up until now, but if we could sort of toggle that timeline yeah. from left to right and have us move from time zero through eight hours and say, oh, this is now your maximum Here's performance. Your exactly. And can you do these sets of tasks now or are you going to make mistakes? When I even imagine if you're running those models, then like, you know, you're not having to do a live human study with a control group and all these different things. Exactly. You can kind of test it out before you even get to that. Exactly. That's part. really the ideal time to use a human performance model. You do it before the empirical research, but it's based off of empirical research because they're basic fundamental human performance models that are embedded inside the human, the computational human. So one of those was workload. Okay. Um, And that workload piece then brought me down into, can we predict workload during long duration missions. Okay, and, this is and like on a journey to Mars or like bingo. a long time. That's where we're going with it. Nice. And so um, I worked a number of years out of the space program uh, funded by the Human Research Program mm-hmm. and um, in a, uh, a portfolio called Space Human Factors Engineering. Okay. And after having done that for about three years, working on trying to come up with a computational, more of a conceptual model of what parameters do need to be considered for long duration mission uh, workload, as opposed to the short kinds of workload evaluations that we've done in the past. So we were looking at extending that over the eight hour day, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe breaking a nine month mission okay. into Chunks. Or, chunks and yeah. saying, okay, in the first third of that mission, you're going to be operating and you're probably going to be operating at the maximum capability. Yeah. And then there's a little period of a doldrum kind of thing in the middle. Yeah. And, and this is rooted in, again, there was some research that was saying there is this sort of broken in three phases mm-hmm. kind of representation to how humans behave when they're on a long duration mission. And it happens on space station it happens when you're on a boat you know, yeah going across, submarines yeah, anytime yeah, I mean, when you're isolated or yeah exactly exactly so <clears throat> so that led into trying to develop this workload stuff yeah and then we we i think i ended up needing uh to generate calls for research mm-hmm. for this and we went and put that out to the to the uh, academic community and then we uh brought it back into NASA and I was the I was asked to be the deputy for the okay. space human factors engineering portfolio <clears throat> then that transitioned through a number of different uh, programmatic changes and now it is 
the human factors and behavioral performance element. I know you're working on this application, like the TLX app, right. and it, like which relates to workload. I'm sure that yeah. was the natural pivot yeah. into you're studying workload. How does this affect humans? Now here's an application or a thing to help guide that process. And Time maybe frame. touch on what exactly is TLX? What does that stand for? What is, so, what is this app? What does it do? So NASA TLX stands for NASA um, <laughs> task, task Load Index. Okay. And the Task Load Index um, was developed by Sandy Hart uh, in the mid to late 1980s, probably mid 1980s. Um, Hart and Staveland, uh, Lowell Staveland. And they created a measure, a subjective measure of um, people's perceived workload okay. um, because there had been a number of different scales out there, uh, like the Cooper Harper, um, okay. George Cooper from here here at NASA Ames. Um, he was a test pilot. He had okay. developed a scale that said uh, as sort of like a manual control, manual handling, because he was a test pilot. So yeah. could I control this aircraft or was it way too hard to control? Mm -hmm. So Sandy built off of that to create a subjective workload scale that said, am I going to exceed my perceived cognitive abilities to do these particular tasks? Mm -hmm. um, so there are six dimensions, essentially. Okay. Um, <clears throat> mental, physical, temporal, effort, performance, and frustration level. So okay. she, would, she would assess along those dimensions to see if somebody was going to be in an overload situation. Okay. And in addition to that, back in the time that she created this, there was something called a card sorting technique. And yes. The, and the card sort would be you'd flip a card up and a subject would go, oh, uh, it's this one and it's not that one, whatever this or that was. It could be temporal or performance. Mm -hmm. So what Sandy was saying was you're going to rate and you're going to weight your estimate on what this particular set of tasks, what modality it was really channeling. Mm -hmm. And so you would do these card sorts to weight it, to actually come up for, with an overall workload measure at the end of, uh, of your assessment uh, on those six dimensions. Mm -hmm. So when she created this, there was a paper and pencil test. And, okay. and it was all done, paper and pencil, their little booklet, and you'd go through this booklet. And then you'd have to take all of this data that yeah. you collect on paper and pencil and enter it into a computer. And then you would be able to generate some, some, pre some prediction yeah. or some, this is what the workload was during this condition. And it's basically to figure like, like how productive or, you know, you well, are. Yeah, it's, it's really for, it's sort of a measure Aside from if there's a, an experiment that you're doing, you're flying an airplane and you're measuring the person's workload as they're doing a, a checklist and there's a little uh, secondary task, like a little light pops up. Mm -hmm. And you've told the subject, just notice or just note whenever this light goes on, just push a button. Just push a button. And so that's, you know, that's a kind of objective measure of, mm -hmm. of Either distraction. Either you hit it or you didn't. Exactly. And if they miss it, they miss it. And that means that they are overloaded. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's often the way the objective measures were being collected. Well, subjectively, there was always a, a sort of a different 
piece that you're trying to get at through the subjective measure okay. because oftentimes that, that kind of subjective impression of workload is building up inside the person and if they they start to crack they start to fail on tasks. It could be because of this buildup of workload. And I notice as you talk about it, you keep saying like the perceived or their perception of it. So this is all about how that subject, how the person feels. It yeah. isn't. It's not necessarily like what their actual workload is, but it's right. their perceived workload. Right. Because some people can do very well under extreme, extremely task-loaded mm -hmm. environments, and sometimes that same person will fail in, ta in environments that have no task load. Okay. So how do we, how do we explain that? Oh, so yeah. that comes in, that brings how their into perception it. of that mm -hmm. situation. Yep. And supervisory control theory. And there's a lot of theoretical stuff behind how people operate in, in these different environments. And Oh, that's so funny. And I, and I think that's like such a, and especially doing this kind of research is such a the ground level of understanding space exploration, long missions. Yep. You, we got to understand the fundamentals of human psychology of how how can humans cooped up in a in a capsule for nine months yes, get exactly. through this, and then, and then not only that, you're going to ask them to do science experiments on top of it. Exactly, exactly, and so. So there is a little bit of a push from mm -hmm. the community, and I noticed in our division we had a lot of um, aviation studies being done. We had space studies being done, people in you know lateral vibration doing a, a, a whole bunch of empirical studies where people are, are shaking on, in a seat to develop a countermeasure for this vibration situation. There is a, a tremendous amount of vibration on the shuttle launch, right? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't only, it, it was both horizontal and, and vertical and lateral kinds of, uh, of vibration. Mm -hmm. And so he was developing a countermeasure, and that countermeasure was actually in the display. So as okay. the vibration was happening, the display was also vibrating, and the people could actually see it. could actually it. see it. Yeah. Oh, so cool. So that's what he was working on. Yeah. It's and like shock absorbers for the display. <laughs> exactly. And it was just... You know, this is all part of the space program that we're doing uh -huh. in our division. And so if we could actually have somebody doing uh, a workload evaluation, like the subjective workload scale, mm -hmm. if you could do it on an iPad or if you could do it on an okay. iPhone, it would just make it so use, usable yeah, not, and, and useful. I well, guess. I'd imagine so. back in the day, they probably were it was just pen and paper or, or pencil and yeah. paper, then it'd be probably like a Scantron or something like that. But now then yeah. you have like spreadsheets, you well, know, that's exactly databases. What, that's exactly what this allows you to do because yeah. once you once you put in your subject ID and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. as an experimenter, you'd put in subject ID and, and then you give it to the pilot and the pilot goes in and starts flying the air aircraft. Then he, or he or she would be um, able to evaluate the workload. It could pop up on the iPhone phone and they can put it in with their you know it's just a touch screen and, and they tab their finger on on a timeline for the, for those six dimensions mm -hmm. and it actually collects everything and then you can actually dump it out and shoot it out to a csv file and and then okay. import it into excel and, and do Boom. all the processing so it's it's Really it's, amazing. It ends up overall like kind of making it more user friendly. So I'd imagine yeah. for so for this for this app that you you've created to kind of you know 
replace this pen and paper or even mm-hmm. this just database process. I, I'm guessing, is there always like a researcher involved in it that is crafting what that is going to yes, be? And then definitely. researchers can use that app on their subjects right. so, to so get information. In, inside of our division, we've got a group of human-computer interaction people, mm-hmm. individuals who have expertise in human-computer interaction. Now, they do a, a very large amount of development of app systems. And there was a team of researchers who actually helped out on the app development. We went back in um, and contacted Sandy because I I can write to her and talk to her. She's, you know, we're we're friends. And so Sandy, um, she wrote back and said, this is what I'm trying to was what I was trying to do when I developed the scale. Um, And so we made the app consistent with the look and feel from what she was trying to mm-hmm. capture back in the 1980s. And so the card sort, everything is done to mimic how it would have felt when you were doing it uh, and, back then. And so for people who are listening, you could literally just type in NASA TLX in the iTunes store and you can find this app. So, But I'm also going to assume that the average person would probably download it, look at it, and be like, what am I doing here? So what is the target audience for this app? Who are you really looking at to take advantage of this? So the target audience is really the the research community. Okay. Um, So it's really made for the researcher. Or it could be somebody who's just interested in assessing their own level of workload. Okay. Because it's subjective. It's a subjective measure. and and be adapted and used. Yeah. And the one thing that we did spend a lot of effort doing and making sure was the security of the data because we did not want people to be able to capture this data if they didn't have rights to it. Mm -hmm. And so that was a large part of our our HCI group's effort. They um, spent a lot of time identifying how we could make sure that the data would be de-identified, that if you send it over the airwaves, essentially, through the Bluetooth or something like that yeah. to dump out the CSV file. How best can we secure that data? And it gets a little dicey when you when you start sending stuff over Bluetooth. But, <laughs> you know, we've done the best that we can. And um, it is all de-identified, so you can't really tell if you had yeah. the data file. It wouldn't mean anything to you unless you're the researcher and then it would mean something. <clears throat> but it's really targeted for the research community. The researcher would just go to the App Store, download, download it. it. It would then be a resident on their iPhone or iPad. Mm-hmm. Then they would be able to assess the workload, send it out to a CSV file, and do an analysis on our desktop computer. And so I'm a researcher. I'm working on some usability study or, or something like that. They could basically use this app take it, customize it, then I guess do they then use a version of that app to hand to their subject matter people or it's all on it's all in the, the, it's all in the app. I mean so everything is in the app also. So that when they download it, there is an instruction set. Oh okay. That's that's embedded in it. So that it tells you what you're supposed to do with the card sort, or maybe you don't even want to do the card sort. You just want to get the person's subjective impression. You don't even care about the weighted average. That's perfectly fine. You can do that. It's um, built so that people can customize it to what ex- their research needs are. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's quite a neat tool. 
So what are, what's an example of something that you guys are, that you're using this in now, you know, so, here, here at So at, right, at right now at Ames, we've got, oh, I didn't bring my data with me, but we, we've they got. They can't see it anyways. We've got some really, <laughs> some really good data that over the past two weeks, so since it was released, there's been like about 11,000 hits on it. Yeah. And about um, 208 active users of the, the TLX app, mm-hmm. which means, I mean, that's for two weeks. Oh, yeah. Amazing that there's a research community out there that's, that's chomping it's tapping at, into. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really amazing. And it removes, actually, here's, here's a quote mm-hmm. from one of our, our test users last year. She was doing a study. It was an aviation study. And, and she said, the TLX app, the beta version that you guys are, are developing, is so easy to use. I don't know why I wouldn't collect workload on every single study that I do. Oh, that's awesome. And so that's the kind of kudos Mm -hmm. that the development team really likes to hear. And, you know, and that's really what Sandy wanted, right? She wanted people to use it. And over the past, well, now it's 30 years, this is still the gold standard. Well, and and it's fantastic how it relates back to NASA of how, you know, not only doing space exploration for the sake of exploring the universe and understanding, but, you know, it's a matter of like to do science and to figure out stuff that and better understand, you know, the universe or solar system beyond. But then working, you know, especially at Ames as a research center, helping that research community, making sure all of our tools or results aren't living in a silo, but sharing that with the research community so we can all kind of help learn together. But, in, but developing a tool like this, if that can help other folks at universities or other agencies or other companies, even for that matter, mm-hmm. they can use this to better understand how their humans, <laughs> how their people, exactly. how their employees do workload stuff. Mm-hmm. That all helps everybody. So what do you see as the future for this app? What are the next stages? Are you guys looking at different platforms? Are you planning on we building are. it, different versions? Yep. So interestingly, in this first version We've got a, little, a couple of capabilities roughed in. Um, one of them is a server capability. The second one is a barcode capability. Mm-hmm. Those two things are going to be incorporated in the next release of the TLX. And it's really to assist in when you start up your study, you can actually take a picture of a barcode and it will automatically populate your subject ID number and all the conditions that you're okay. going to be running the subject under. Then the server capability will allow you to send your data. So instead of it going to your computer, it'll go to a centralized server for secure storage. And we were doing that because a number of years ago, maybe four years ago, I was contacted by a medical doctor who was doing his PhD on the side (laughs) as he (laughs) was a resident. um, And this is, he was an ER doctor. And he was saying, I get these pushes, and I want to measure and assess my workload during these pushes. Do you have that kind of capability? And uh, unfortunately, at the time, we didn't. But I said, you know, wow, this is a great this idea. Is work on. Yeah, we've, we've got to do this because it's something that you need. It's something that obviously all of our researchers need. So let's 
to start working on this. And so anyway, cool. So for anybody who's listening, if you are a researcher, a scientist looking to use this, they can just hop on over to the iTunes store, search for NASA TLX and go ahead and download it there. But also for anybody who's listening, who has any questions for, uh, for Brian about like how you came up with the app or any other additional information, um, we are on Twitter at NASA Ames. We are using the hashtag uh, NASA Silicon Valley and any questions come in, we'll, we'll loop you on in and get back to people. So, but thanks for coming on. This Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. I hope people uh, enjoy the app and give us uh, some comments about it too, that we definitely appreciate that. And we'd also try to modify it for future releases. Huh? Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.